Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I was um, really fortunate enough growing up to also be baptized the same day as my dad, which was pretty cool. Uh, and also the same day as my best friend, whose name was Matthias. Uh, he was a beast. Uh, he was just over six foot, about a hundred and something kilos, built like Jonah Lomu, and the captain of the first 15 uh, as a 13-year-old. Those days we called it year nine. <laughs> form three? Maybe form three. It was actually, yeah, form three, third form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like most things in life at that stage when... Uh, I suppose when your best friend also doubles as your bodyguard because you were struggling to hit 45 kilos. I mean, no, that was a great decision to have him as a best friend. I decided it would be a good idea when we got uh, out into the ocean in the mount for him to go first. That was the custom for a lot of our friendship patterns at the time. Uh, and what we didn't know at the time until we got there was it was actually in the middle of a surfing competition. And so surrounded by uh, all these awesome-looking people on the beach. I mean, those surfers are always the best dressed. They've got the good labels. They've got the nicest tans. Uh, They're just the coolest people. Uh, And also surrounding us in the waves were all these guys on surfboards, obviously, in the middle of their competition. And so we baptized Matthias, and we got him under the water. And uh, he's quite a a sizable young fella at the time to get out of the water. But before we could, this freak wave came out of kind of nowhere and took us all out. And to this day, I still think in that moment, he must have thought, man, is this the rapture? And have I lucked out? Because like there is no one around me. Meanwhile, we're like several meters away from him, trying not to somersault in the ocean and get sucked out to drown in the middle of the ocean. Now, um, I just want to put this out there that theologically speaking, I'm not exactly sure how Jesus feels about baptizing if all you do is dunk them down and don't lift them up. I'm pretty sure that's also known as drowning. So just, just to be safe, we like dunked him again, and then Dad and I, we got baptized as well. And I learned something that I really wasn't expecting in the middle of the mount that day in the middle of a surfing competition, and that was simply how many surfers are Christians? I had no idea, and it was the most awkward moment. What started off in, 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 as a teenager, I think I was all of 13, maybe 14 years old surrounded by the coolest looking people you could ever imagine on the cool beach. And all of a sudden, we got baptized in the middle of all of them and interrupted their surfing competition. And they stopped and they cheered and they celebrated and they just rejoiced with us. And you know, the Bible talks about how heaven celebrates. It has a party every time someone makes a salvation decision. And if you've read any of the Old Testament, you'll understand that for generations, The Israelites were known as a people who knew how to celebrate. In fact, in many cultures, they knew them as either the the way that they fought or the way that they celebrated, and probably the way that they celebrated what they defeated when they fought. And so they were known by their ability. And I'm of the conviction that there is nothing like heaven that knows how to party. It is my personal opinion that I believe there is, a, like the Bible says, this cloud of witnesses who are there celebrating when we make significant salvation decisions. They also celebrate and party and, and cheer on with us when we make decisions just to say yes to God. And for those of you getting baptized tonight, I want to encourage you uh, tonight. And for those of us who are just here to support them tonight, I want to encourage you as well that God has always uh, got a cloud of witnesses who are surrounding us, celebrating when we say yes to Him. 
And so really what I want to do tonight is just unpack a couple of key thoughts from Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And then we're going to create a space for you to hear from God. And to ask Him how He sees you. Because let's be honest, that's always a good idea. And if you're like me, so often I'm guilty of just flicking through the pages at pace and really not stopping to put myself in the middle of it and wonder what would life be like if I was there in the moment. So tonight, I want to give you permission to think. I'd actually like you to use your imagination and to, at multiple points of this time, just imagine being right in the middle of this storm, be in the middle of this story as we read the account of what had happened. I want you to imagine what it would look like and what your response might have been if you were in the middle of this storm. Today was a, um, a really good day in so many ways. I love that even God decided it would be a good idea to prep the perfect storm out of nowhere if you've seen the weather reports. It was crazy. Um, but to do justice to this passage, I just want to catch you up to speed on what had happened and what's been going on. See, this is the time where Jesus is in the middle of his three most public years of discipleship ministry. Um, him and his 12 odd dozen odd disciples uh, were just in the middle of several days, probably weeks, if not maybe even months in the last few years of chaos. Things were chaos. It was at the point in Jesus' career and time on earth, really, when the whisper of Jesus might be here or going to this area would draw crowds. So they were exhausted, and they were on the back of weeks and weeks of ministry and of just seeing incredible things happen and and answers to prayer, just unbelievable things that were going on that would draw crowds from everywhere. And these guys were stuffed and just in need of a decent feed and a good night's sleep. Man, how many can relate to that? And how many know you don't make good decisions when you're tired? My dad has this saying, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. H-A-L-T. It means halt. Because hmm. this was the perfect storm. It was really brewing up to be an incredible mess. On the back of this, Jesus gets the news that his best friend, John the Baptist, this dude who he's grown up with since like he was born on earth here. John the Baptist was all of about six months older than him. His best mate's just been killed. In fact, he was murdered, beheaded for doing the same stuff that him and his disciples were doing. And naturally in this moment of exhaustion on the back of weeks and weeks of really not knowing where you would be the next day or what you would do along the way, often things happened along the way as well. Just like anyone else, Jesus was devastated. And all he wanted to do was get away by himself and grieve. In fact, we know that because in verse 13 it says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was going and they followed him on foot in many towns. It's interesting to me that even the crowds of people who'd never had relationship to Jesus, who'd never been exposed to who he was, were capable of listening and hearing where he would be. I just wonder what would happen if instead of us asking ourselves, come on, God, where should I go? What should I do? We just stopped and listened to where he was going. We live in this like me-centric generation, whether it's the me this and the me that. It's the iPhone. It's the iPad. It's the I emotion. It's the I response. It's the oh, It's the me. It's the I. But what would happen if instead of putting ourselves in the middle of our point of view, we would say, come on, God, where are you going? Come on, I want to listen. Come on, show me where you're moving. 
I just want to be close to you. And we know the story of what happens next. Jesus feeds the 5,000 men. They're counted by men. It's just the way they did it in those days. And probably some 30-odd thousand people by that stage. By the time you incorporate like all their wives and their kids and grandma and the aunties and everybody else who comes out whenever there's going to be this awesome show. And just like today, if wherever there's a big crowd, there's a whole bunch of people there, probably for a whole bunch of different reasons. Some of them were there because it was the it place to be. Man, you want to be where Jesus is because then you can say, I was there when he did that. It was crazy, man. You don't know. You weren't there. That was phenomenal. Like, I can't believe you missed that. That was unreal. And then you could recount the story for years and years of what happened in the middle of the chaos. And we know from many different biblical accounts that there was a whole bunch of people there just waiting for him to stuff up because they were jealous, because they were intimidated, because they were offended. Friends, don't get surprised. When the presence of God is on your life and you're surrounded by a whole bunch of different people just watching you. And we know also from many different occasions that there would have been people there out of pure desperation. They had nothing else to go on. That was it. Jesus was their last resort. They might have tried all sorts of things to get the healing or the miracle or the provision or the answer that they so desperately needed. And they knew their last hope was if I could just get close to Jesus. Maybe he could answer my need too. Maybe he could calm my storm. And I love the fact that, we don't have time to unpack this, but let me just share this thing. In the middle of all of this, and after Jesus puts his disciples to another faith test beyond their financial means to feed all these people, he makes them carry the food around. And they get like a basket each. The Bible says there was 12 baskets left over. Anybody been fishing and like had a good day? And by that I mean caught more than a sprat or like a couple of little things. We tried eeling again last night. It was too murky, didn't get anything. Uh, But I was so excited to use my new spears. It was a good time. But if you've ever picked up a few fish, you understand fish are heavy, like super heavy. So on the back of this like incredibly exhausting few days or weeks or however long it's been, and then their mate has just been murdered for doing the same stuff they're doing. So they're freaking out and they're in grief. Jesus makes them lug around baskets of this heavy as fish. Can you imagine the size of the hillscape it must have been to fit 30 odd thousand people? They were tired. They were exhausted. It was heavy and they were in pain. And friends, tonight I wonder if things are heavy for you. Maybe, just maybe. Some of you will walk out tonight carrying fresh food from heaven. What if you gave God just a moment to speak into your circumstance, to speak into your spirit tonight and say, come on, I've got fresh food for you. You can go again. I want, to find, I want you to find sustenance in the storm, not just endure it. And in Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, immediately after this, Like all of that stuff that's just happened, immediately after that stuff, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Because how many know in order to give out, come on, there's stuff he had to give up. Come on, in order to feed other people, he had to get fed. And when the tanks got too low, his first point of call was not to look after other people, Come on, it was to keep close and to look up. And after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. And I love this. Catch this. Night fell while he was there alone. Has anyone ever been outside in the middle of a beautiful day 
And then just out of nowhere, night, pitch black. We know that doesn't happen, right? But if we read this and don't think about what's going on, it's easy to think that, oh, yeah, night fell. And so Jesus was there a long time. Why is that important? You're about to see. Because his disciples, meanwhile, are terrified and freaking out and in the middle of trouble, and he'd been gone a long time. And so we see here that Jesus is not only comfortable in the storm, but he's comfortable leaving his disciples in the storm. I'll show you why that's important. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, and we know they're in trouble because it says they're in trouble. (laughs) Far away from the land. Thank you. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. (laughs) He's okay with us in the middle of the storm. And I want you to remember that a number of his disciples were really reasonably experienced fishermen. When he recruited them for generations, the inheritance of their family tree and all of their experience was equipping them to be fishermen. And like any decent fisherman, they understood that if they wanted to get fed and if they wanted their family to live, they had to go fishing. Rain, hail, or shine, they had to fish. Didn't matter how bad and how rough the seas were, you don't catch fish when your boat's on the shore. You've got to get out. And they would have understood for so long how to position their boats in the storm and in these waves for the best opportunity for them to live. And they would have talked about it and thought about it and experienced it. And for years and years, they would have trained and been exposed to rough seas as if their life depended on it. Because every now and then, it does. How's your boat? And as we watch this clip, I really just want you to ask yourself, when you're thinking about putting yourself in the middle of it and what you'd see, how bad would the storm have to be to terrify experienced fishermen? How bad would the waves have to be for experienced fishermen to be terrified? Let's watch the clip.
got the other one? When I heard it was baptisms tonight, I um, first thought was, let's do Jaws. <laughs> I just reckon it'd be funny to see who was brave enough to get in the pool afterwards, eh? Get a little remote control fin. <laughs> a little awkward. <laughs> Matthew 14, verse 25. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Man, as if this day couldn't get any worse. On the back of physical exhaustion, on the back of their grief and their fear, because man, if they could do that to John the Baptist, man, what if I'm next? On the back of having to carry all this stuff and having all the pain and exhaustion in their arms, suddenly, in the middle of this storm they'd been fighting for hours, already being exhausted in every sense of the word, here comes the ghost. There goes the sea, there goes Jesus. Here we go, and here we Can you imagine what that would have looked like coming towards you in the middle of the night? And you're in this like rock and a hard place, eh? Because you know, on the one hand, you can either risk it and stay in the boat and you're probably going to drown. Or you can take your chances with whatever that thing is that's coming towards you. And I love what Jesus says in his response in this moment. Jesus spoke to them at once. Man, on the back of fighting for their lives, in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their storm, in the middle of their trial, who's been there? I love his response in the middle of this when they're exhausted. The first thing he says is, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am here. Another version says, fear not because I am here. Like as if you were never going to be more justified in being able to be afraid because of your circumstances, because of all of the above. And he says, don't. It's just awesome. And I'm like, what is that even about? Like if I was Jesus, I'd have said, guys, it's okay. I got this. I'm going to calm the storm. But notice Jesus doesn't calm the storm. Because he's comfortable in the storm. He's got dominion in the storm. His focus and his priority, get this, is never the storm. 
It's never the storm. Come on, when we're going through things in life that are challenging and exhausting, and you just think it's too much, and then something else happens, and then something else happens, and then something you really weren't expecting starts coming towards you. In the midst of all of that stuff, his focus and his priority is never the storm. It's always you. Another part of the Bible tells us in another time, he's in the back of the boat in Mark 4, sleeping during the storm. Because not only is he comfortable in the storm and comfortable leaving there, he made the water. So he's got like dominion on a whole nother level. And I love that Jesus wants you to find rest and sustenance in the storm, regardless of the circumstance. (laughs) And then my mate Peter, verse 28. Peter called to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Now Peter, everybody has a Peter in their life. Like he was brave, but he was like stupid brave. Like I can think of multiple Peters in my life. In fact, I'm probably guilty as charged of being a leading criminal uh, as, as a, if you were Peter in that moment. Because like he didn't think his gut reaction in the midst of all the fear and the chaos while he's in the boat with his mates is to save himself with no regard to his mates. In this moment, he says, Jesus, if that's re- if it was me, If he'd have even thought about it for a moment, he could have said this. He could have said, Jesus, if that's you, calm the storm. How many of you have been water skiing? Like you understand if you've been water skiing even once or even just tried it. Like there is nothing like water skiing when the water is flat. And if you've been water skiing like even once or even watched people water ski, you'll understand. There is nothing like water skiing when the water is rough. And like so rough, you don't even want to take your boat there, let alone drag someone behind you on a couple of bits of wood. And he could have had this awesome water skiing moment where it was flat and calm and everyone's happy and life is good. And then, man, look at me, I'm walking on the water. Or even if he had thought about it for a moment, he could have even said, Jesus, Lord, if that's really you, put us on land. Get us out of our circumstances. Get us out of the storm. Because I don't want to be here anymore. I'm exhausted. I'm fearing for my life and for that of all of my friends. Where have you been for the last few hours? Come on, we just, we're over it. Just get us out. Put us on land. Maybe we can talk this through tomorrow, but I just need to sleep on land. I just need to be safe. I just need to be away from that. But even in this moment of stupid bravery, I love that Peter understood the basic truth, which is this. If you can just get to Jesus. Come on, if you can just keep your focus on Jesus. If all that you can do is take another step closer to him, then you just took one step closer to what you need, to your answer, to who you need. Man, it just reminded me these last few weeks of (laughs) this time in my life as a single and also then when I was dating Phoebe, uh, testosterone-filled male, living in a flat full of single testosterone-filled males. And there was this beautiful phrase, and I'm not quite sure if it actually helped me Uh, in a positive way or had more of a detrimental effect on my life. But whenever we were in this slightly challenging conversation, someone would pipe up, you won't do it. And as a 20-something-year-old man full of vengeance and testosterone, man, I can remember getting to an orange light that was going red and some idiot beside me or behind me was like, you won't do it. And part of you was like, get behind me, Satan. And the other part of you was like, oh man, I've got to look strong in front of the boys. I've got to be brave here. And I can remember circumstances looking up crazy things and going, man, I wouldn't jump off there. That's stupid. And some idiot would go, you won't do it. I'm like, shut up, Peter. 
And sometimes in, in life, those same friends have just seen circumstances where it's been time to push again, and they've been like, you won't do it. There have been time in life where, where we've just taken risks financially and to sow into things that were beyond our capability, and those same friends have been like, you won't do it. Come on, because you've got to be careful of the company you keep. And Jesus' response is just awesome. Verse 29, he says, yep, come. What? So Peter goes over the side of the boat and starts walking on the water towards Jesus. But when? Everybody say but. But when the strong wind and waves, when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouts. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. I love that Jesus immediately reaches out and grabs him. In this moment, if I was Jesus, the first thing I would have said when I reached out to grab him would be, it's okay, mate. You're going to be okay. I've got this. And in this moment of vulnerability with Peter, and we've all been Peter, it's interesting to me that Jesus' response is to rebuke him. He says, you've got so little faith. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. And then the disciples, everybody say then. And then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Like how many things do you have to be exposed to? How long do you have to be able to walk closely with Jesus before you understand who he is? For months, if not years, they'd been going through incredible miracle and answer and provision and testimony. And even then, they still hadn't seen him for who he was. And in this moment, like, if you're like me, you read this at face value, you're like, that's not the comforting God I know. What the heck is that about? Like, come on, man. Like, they're in every sense of the word, terrified, exhausted, in a storm. Where's his compassion? And it's easy to assume that Jesus' rebuke is some savage thing that comes off the back of frustration because Jesus was tired, because he was exhausted, because he was in grief, because he was in pain, because he'd been alone by himself for a long time and had a big-ass walk across to the boat, and he was even more tired on the back of that. Man, how many times have we all said something we regret when we're tired, when we speak out of frustration? But what I love about this is if you just look beyond the surface for a moment, what you see is when you ask yourself, why did he say that? What if the reason that Jesus was frustrated in that moment had nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with the fact that after all of that time with him, Peter still saw Peter through Peter's eyes. He was blinded by his own ability, by his own circumstance. Peter suddenly is overwhelmed when for a moment he sees Jesus and then he takes his eyes off Jesus in the same moment and he's overwhelmed by the size of the storm that he's going through. And he says, man, you don't understand what it's like to have my insecurities. He's blinded by his addictions that nobody else knows about, but he's been able to bottle up for a while. He's blinded by his jealousy. And by his shortcomings and by his experience, he's lowered his faith and his expectation to the fact of where he came from, which historically was just above a beggar, a tradesman, not worthy to make the cut for anything else. Suddenly, Peter in this moment sees Peter through his own eyes. And he says, I, I can't make it. Man, I know you can do incredible things for other people because I've seen you do it for so long, but that could never happen to me. 
Man, I'm not worthy of that. You don't know where my family came from. You don't know the experiences that I've come through. You don't know what it's like to have been me or to have my limitations. Jesus can use so many people, but there's only so far he can use me. He's blinded by himself in this moment. And I ask myself, what if, right? What if in this moment when he stretches out his hand to rescue Peter, in this moment, instead of Jesus being mad out of his own frustration, instead of Jesus being human in his response, what if he's rescuing something more than his physical circumstance? What if in this moment he's saying, Peter, regardless of this circumstance, you are enough. I have called you. You are enough. You have what it takes. Even if you look back just a few years, you'll see that I said, come follow me because you are worthy of my discipleship. You are worthy to follow me. You have what it takes to be able to flourish. I put you in this circumstance and I'm comfortable with leaving you in this storm, but I want you to find rest and I want you to find hope and I want you to find sustenance in the middle of the storm. And if you look back just a little bit, you'll understand that not only did I call you and say you were enough, Come on, not only did I knit you together in the womb, not only from the beginning of time did I choose now for this people, for you to flourish in this moment and in this circumstance. I just want you to see you the way that I see you. If you could just see you the way I see you. What if in that moment, Peter got a whole lot more than just a physical get out of jail free card? What if in the midst of your storm, Jesus wants to grab a hold of you and do something so much more than change the circumstance? What if we could see ourselves the way that he made us, the way that he's equipped us? What if tonight, in the middle of whatever storm you're struggling with, and if you're like me, there are some storms you go through and everybody knows about them. (laughs) Like my busted toe. This is the first time I've had two shoes on in almost two weeks. Come on, what if you're like me and there's some storms that you tell no one about? Because you're too ashamed, you're too embarrassed, you're too broken in your own humanity and limited by yourself. When you look at yourself and you watch how other people flourish and man, somebody else got that. But that's never gonna happen to me. What if in this moment, for just a moment, we created a space where you could ask God, come on, show me how you see me. Come on, you just imagine you're standing in front of Jesus and he puts his arm out to rescue you. And he's saying, come on, my son, come on, my daughter, you are enough. I have called you, I have chosen you, I have equipped you, and I put you on this earth now for a reason, with this people, with this family. Come on, what if you could see you the way that I see you? How many circumstances in life would we handle differently? If we just stopped for a moment and asked them, how do you see me? Show me how you see me. And what I love about this movie, right, and I find super challenging, is if you watch it, you'll see, and I didn't have time to play it for you tonight, but the owner of the ship has a whole fleet of ships, and he's blinded by cost. He's blinded by cost so much that he doesn't want to get a new ice machine. So when these fishermen go so far away from where they would usually be at the end of their season to try and catch enough fish to set themselves up, for the next year. Suddenly the ice machine breaks. And because it breaks, they have no choice to ride out the storm and wait a few days if they're gonna try and get this fish back 
to be able to still be fit for consumption. So they have to take a risk. Now, well, that's a great story, but what does that mean? Friends, hear me tonight. If you don't embrace the cost of maintenance in your life, you have to understand what's at stake. When we fail to embrace the cost of maintenance, of stopping every now and then to say, Jesus, come on, show me how you see me. Come on, where are you moving, God? Show me where you're going at the moment. Come on, there's more than just your stuff that's at stake. What if your life was at stake? And what if the life of other people was at stake? It's not okay for you to get taken out of the game because you never embraced the cost of maintenance. It's not okay for us to get taken out of the game and for somebody else not to be able to find relationship with Him because we weren't able to say, come on, God, just realign. Come on, what do you need to replace in my broken humanity? What do you need to fix in the way that I see myself? What if Peter's moment of redemption was getting his identity rescued and restored? And then out of that place, what if that's the reason why he was finally able to see Jesus for who he was? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 